Today is April 27th, 2023. I'm David Berlin, the host of the Blockchain Journal podcast. I'm coming to you from Austin, Texas, where right now the Consensus 2023 conference is taking place. The whole city is being taken over by this conference. There's a convention center next door to where I am right now. Lots of exhibitors, lots of people who are interested in blockchain and cryptocurrency. But today I'm standing with David Bashiri. David is the president of the XRPL Commons, which is an organization that's related to XRP and Ripple. So, David, thank you very much for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, just to complete on what you just said, uh, we're a completely independent nonprofit organization. We're not tied to the XRP or Ripple. Okay, so you're not tied to them, but um, we're, we're exactly in the same ecosystem. We're trying to get more adoption to the XRP ledger. Uh, we're working together as partners, uh, but it was important to me to mention we were completely independent. And what we're doing is working on four pillars to get the XRP ledger to its next stage. Um, the four pillars being working with universities, working with large organizations and public institutions, working with startups, and working with the community itself. Uh, we're trying to be at the crossroad of these four pillars, and we have dedicated programs for each of them. When you were on stage a little earlier speaking at the Fireside Chat with David Schwartz, who is the CTO of Ripple, you talked about those segments, you talked about corporations. Blockchain Journal is really about the enterprise and corporations and adoption of blockchain in that category. And there is a lot of headwind, I would say, in the adoption of blockchain for enterprises. Many obstacles. One of those obstacles, because you were talking a little bit about education, is just the complete lack of familiarity about you know anything having to do with blockchain in the enterprise. You talk to a CIO or IT director or a CFO, because blockchain, of course, would concern the CFO as well, about the only thing they know about blockchain is what they read in the headlines, and what's in the headlines these days is not very flattering. So, so what has to be done to reverse that trend? So you're absolutely right. I think there's there's been so much noise in the space that you know the, the real message hasn't gone through. Uh, so what we're doing is trying to raise awareness and, and bring education to top executives in large corporations so they can understand what kind of value blockchain can unlock for their specific industry. So to do that, we invite them for an ex what we call an executive briefing, where in, in less than two hours, we walk them through all the value that blockchain can unlock in their specific industry. So let's take fashion, for instance. Um, right now, fashion is big on using Web3 for um, marketing and, and uh, creating uh, customer loyalty programs. But there's so much more that blockchain can do in supply chain, factories, in uh, second-hand markets, in retail. Uh, but if you walk them through the whole value chain of their own industry, they understand perfectly what kind of value they can unlock with it. And so the conversation becomes more, how can we do it? Uh, you know, what, what kind of projects do we have to launch to do it? Uh, is there anyone else who's doing it in our industry? Because, uh, you know, corporations used to, are used to walk by, you know, is there a leader in that space? Can we do the same? Uh, we don't want to be outpaced in terms of innovation. But Nobody wants to be Ubered or to Amazon because that happened before. They all, many existing executives watched that movie where some new technology, be it mobile, cloud, whatever, came, uh, surfaced, 
then some innovator came along, took advantage of that, and completely disrupted an entire industry. But when you're doing these two-hour briefings, which, by the way, two hours doesn't seem like enough time to share everything that needs to be shared to convince an executive, one of the big questions that I get as the editor-in-chief of Blockchain Journal is, well, why can't I just do this with a database? You, you, I'm already marketing. I'm already, you know, I've got a customer loyalty program. Uh, I'm engaging with my other stakeholders in the supply chain and partners already through systems that I've built. Why do I need blockchain for this? So how do you, how do you deal with that question? So we, we usually start with what I think is a fact now. We're entering the crisis of trust. Okay, so anything that's centralized, whether it's a database, it's a system, it's a, anything that's centralized can be changed if you know the, the one person was in charge of that. So uh, when you talk about supply chain, for instance, what blockchain does is it creates complete auditability uh, and permanence of data. When you use a centralized blockchain, data can be changed. You know, if you know the one person in the organization was in charge of that. And so if you build your trust on the fact that you cannot change the data and it's auditable, then you're sure that five years from now you won't be facing, you know, public media or a scandal about you know lying to your customers and uh, as a CEO of a company you don't want to lie to your customer you want to be true to them so that's a way to prevent that kind of trust issues happening uh, in the future so do do organizations actually lie to their customers has that ever happened and that's kind of a sarcastic question I would say you know sometimes they do it without even knowing they're doing it uh, sometimes errors will happen uh, and you know they're they're trying to hide it if uh, if you know it's a uh, it's hideable um, that's you know that's taking a leap of faith using a blockchain or a decentralized ledger is taking a leap of faith that down the line you will be able to to say that you did everything in good faith in, in, in an open way it was sort of a rhetorical question because if we look back through history even if you just go to the website of the US Securities and Exchange Commission you'll find press releases about all the companies they're finding for doing essentially malicious things and they get fined for that we know there's a history of big corporations that we placed our faith in, Wells Fargo, uh, Equifax, it, it, maybe not all of it was malicious, maybe it was just pure you know, incompetence, but at the end of the day, I think you're right that when one central party has control over the data, there's the opportunity for some form of abuse that eventually breaks the trust, and as you pointed out, gets that brand mentioned in the headlines, which is not necessarily in the interest of all the stakeholders in that brand, whether it's stockholders, employees, or customers. Exactly, a board of executives know that. They know that you know they don't have control over everything, so if they can delegate to systems that will enforce trust, uh, that will maintain trust, I think they, they take that as an upside for, for them. But there has to be a special group of stakeholders that get it because some of the people I've spoken to say, no, you can trust us. We're not going to change the data. We're, you know, it will be audible. We'll make it available to everybody. Like, we're trustworthy, which of course, you know, history proves that some percentage of us are not trustworthy, but it doesn't it take the right stakeholder? You have to come across that right, you know, a board member or chief executive officer who says, who gets it and says, you know what, we need to engender trust. And I just don't, in my experience, I don't think enough of those exist, do they? So they, they are open to the conversation. And we mainly talk to C-levels, because um, if I take the, the situation backwards, how we drive adoption and how we bring more developers to the community, it's by providing them opportunities to build. And you know, developers don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to build this, this or that. They are in an environment where they're waiting for 
orders or opportunities to build. So in a large organization, the projects come when they're green-lighted by the whole uh, executive chain. If you start with the C-level, then it, it cascades down the organization. Uh, and you know, blockchain is not something no one wants to hear about anymore. And, and then you get to the technical people who are already aware of what blockchain is. Um, you know, a lot of people in large organizations are already educated about blockchain or they know about blockchain more than what you, th what you would think. But they're waiting for the green light from the top executives to go on with their, with their projects. So if we want to reach the developers, if we want to bring more developers, we have to create opportunities for them. That comes. That starts with the C level. How do you get them past the the other problem, which is when you tell them, "Oh, this is a public chain. It's all public." Like like that freaks a lot of C level people out. So you have to also explain the difference between being public and having all your data available to everyone. You know, a blockchain can be public, but the data can be anonymized. It can be uh, encrypted. They can you, you decide basically the data you want to expose, uh, but the fact that the data is here and maybe a third part can be the auditor doesn't have to be everyone who's able to audit it. Uh, you you it means you put in place a chain of trust um, that you know the, the the great audience can can trust will be will be uh, revealed later on. But that's ma that's mainly about putting in place this chain of trust. Okay. You mentioned NFTs earlier, and that seems to be where a lot of enterprises are sort of dipping their toe in the blockchain water. And there's a, there's a recipe for doing that. Like, there's some other use cases, of course. The recipes are more complicated, and there aren't many recipes out there. But you see a lot of brands, Starbucks, uh, L'Oreal, uh, many brands that are doing NFTs as a form of customer engagement. Do you recommend that as like that first kind of, here's a good way to kind of try it out and not get too deep into something, and then maybe once you've tried it out and you got a good taste of how it works, move on to something a little more complicated? So NFTs for marketing and, and uh, customer loyalty is, is a great way to create instant value. Like it's, yeah. it's a short-term pro pro program or a short-term project internally. Uh, there are a bunch of providers, you know, suppliers who are able to help you with, with that. It's not too complicated. It, you don't have to rethink the whole infrastructure. You know, it's just an add-on to what you're already doing as a brand. So it's a great way to start. But I think the value of NFTs lies in management of intellectual property. You know, how do you manage your brand? And, and uh, how, how do you manage patent, for instance? There's on, on the XRP ledger, there's a, a, a platform named XRP Stamp that allows you to notarize any document uh, using, using the blockchain. Um, you know, being able to provide clarity about who's in ownership of a document, who was the first person to come up with an ID. Uh, you know, patents are very localized. If you own a brand, you have to own the brand in all the countries where the brand operates. If you go through a blockchain solution, maybe that's another way to make it more efficient, cross-border, um, without having to engage with so many third parts. On NFTs or on any technology, a lot of time with enterprises, they're all coming from Web 2.0. And especially when you have B2C companies that are dealing with customers, you see a, a huge amount of hesitance to try to go all the way to Web 3.0 because for to onboard their customers to something that's fully Web 3.0, the wallets and all that, that just seems like too much friction for an enterprise to go all the way from Web 2 to Web 3. So, do you help them out in that middle area? Some people call it Web 2.5, where it's kind of like a Web 2.0 front end on top of something where blockchain's underneath. So, I would say we're agnostic. We will take 
any institution or corporation that want to work with us uh, and you know if they're already open to uh, working with NFTs we'll, we'll help them find the right people in our ecosystem to work with them um, but you, you mentioned some companies are reluctant to you know tackle the, the the innovation part because that's that's a lot of investment for them or uh, that's that's you know a big leap of faith they have to, to take and they, they might be a backlash you know you, they don't know how the the audience will react how the customers will react uh, you know if you launch a project and none of your customers are have a wallet then you know you you have to convince your all your customers to adopt it first so I don't think that the job of the brands to do that um, what I think is attractive to these brands, the one that are, are 2.5, uh, let's say, is that they're in direct contact with their customers, uh, with with uh, a decentralized approach to uh, marketing. You don't have a third part who owns your your customer database or your your audience. Uh, when you open a, a Facebook page as a brand, well, you still have to pay Facebook for putting out your uh, advertisement and, and keep your reach high when you have uh, an audience that you know relies on uh, decentralized infrastructure then you can be in touch with them directly that's that's very appealing to brands and they understand that very well uh, they see that as sort of a new media where they own the media or they provide the media and and their audience gets comes to them directly okay well david bashiri president of the xrpl comments thank you very much for joining us on the blockchain journal podcast thank me thank you for having me appreciate it